What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate. I already hate it. I hate it. Welcome to the Chase Thomas podcast. We're recording this on a Monday night. Yovan is in a coffee shop. He's doing the extra things to make sure he can make it on the podcast. So I appreciate that. But uh, we're one day removed from Stephen Curry's very mean disposal of the Cleveland Cavaliers in Game Two of the NBA Finals. Like I said, Yovan is on the line. He's caffeinated. He has his coffee. He's ready to go. And he's uh, surviving that 75-degree scorching <laughs> Los Angeles weather that he informed me has just been unbearable today without knowing it was like 90-something in Atlanta today. But anyway, <laughs> Yovan, good evening. How are you? I'm great, man. Besides this, uh, this scorching 75-degree weather, I think I'm, I'm all right. How are you doing? I'm good. You know what's funny, though, about L.A. weather is that the last, uh, I guess it was two years ago, around, I think it was late December, it was close to New Year's, and I remember the entire week that I was there, it was was weirdly cold all Mm -hmm. week long, and they were like, it's never been this cold, and I was like, well, that's great that I picked the one week in Los Angeles to go where it was not 75 every day, and it was actually like 50-something, and then it got to like 40-something at night, and it was... It was kind of a kind of a bummer to be honest. Yeah, I mean that that is a pretty rare thing in LA. Uh, the the rarest of them all is when it rains and everyone just freaks out and doesn't know how to drive and um you get you get a lot of either people being like extremely aggressive or people driving like turtles and then it just causes a bunch of traffic. Uh, so. If you want to see a site, come to LA when it's raining because everyone streaks out. When was the last time it rained? Uh, it's probably been a few weeks. Uh, but it even rains, then, it was, uh, it was... basically once a day here. No. <laughs> so we're basically South Florida. Like it rains for like an hour with a heavy rainstorm, and then it gets into nasty humidity, just awfulness, and then uh, we have to deal with that for the rest of the day. So it it's gross. Humidity and just the rainstorms, and then it going back to like 90 degrees is not a great combination. I'm not, I'm not a fan. <laughs> so maybe we'll switch places and I'll spend the next week in LA and you can experience Atlanta crazy summer weather for a week. And uh, yeah, it'll make both of us better. Um, anyway, game two, the Warriors, um, like I said, did something very mean to the Cleveland Cavaliers. Blew him out. Steph Curry, nine threes. I think he was like nine of 17. Yeah. And they are up 2-0. Did anything about this game surprise you? Because it felt like going in that everybody's thoughts, and I understood this take, was that the way Cleveland lost game one, there was no chance they were going to be able to get up for game two, especially with just 
that ending and the personnel and everything else. It just, there was no way they were stealing game two after just blowing game one in the fashion that they did, right? Yeah, no, I, I think the only thing that, that really surprised me with game two is that it took the Warriors basically to like, you know, early to mid fourth quarter to really put the game to bed. Um, I was kind of expecting that really, like I, I was just kind of expecting one of their like halftime runs where it's like, you know, the last four or five minutes of the half and then they just kind of turn like a six-point game into like an 18-point game and then you're just like, what the hell happened right before halftime? Uh, or, you know, one of their <laughs> their third-quarter avalanches where they just bury you. Like, uh, I, I was surprised and really impressed that Cleveland was able to, to you know, keep it a relatively close game, um, you know, especially for the first half, but then, you know, third, it, it was kind of hovering around uh, low double digits, and then you know the Warriors kind of finally put it to bed, and, and you know the the Cavs took out LeBron. But um, yeah, I mean, I, I think that that's like the the downside of losing Game One is it's not just going down 0-1, but it's just so it, it's so defeating and it's so like um, disheartening to to know you played that well against the Warriors and, and in Oracle, and then the fact that you lost the game on on really three ridiculous things that didn't go your way um you know i, I just think it, it, it's kind of hard to to kind of get over that and and you know when the oracle crowd is, is savagely giving jr smith a standing ovation and chanting mvp when he's at the free throw line like that was definitely a, had to have been on his mind all game like it's just human to, to not really uh you know block that out like yeah you know so I'm sure that had some effect on him. Um, you know, we, we saw the, the three-minute video of, of LeBron finding out that they had a timeout right before overtime started, uh, you know, during game one. And that was just a crazy video. Um, you could just see the look on his face of like, holy shit, like, I can't believe this just happened. Um, so, so yeah, I mean, I I picked the series in a sweep. I know we, did, we haven't talked in, in a bit, so I, we didn't really talk about the finals, but I had the series in a sweep. Um, I'm standing by that, and I feel like, you know, the, the, the game one loss really kind of confirmed that for me where I was just like, the, the, there's no way they're going to recover from this. Like, the, this is too big of a, you know, it wasn't just one loss. It was pretty much the series in my eyes. I had a, this, I, <laughs> I think it's funny that you, I, I, didn't, I didn't realize that you also picked the sweep because I also picked the sweep for the Warriors, and I felt um, pretty confident with that. Uh, I thought that when they got a like the layoff with Andre Godala, we still haven't seen him, but apparently he is um, pain free now. So it looks like he'll probably play in game three. And maybe they, that was the plan all along to just get him to game three when they, they uh, go to Cleveland and really need him on the road. Uh, that will be nice to have, but this is a team that still functions at a really high level when they close with Livingston at that spot instead of a Godala. And you know, like this team, they went sixteen and one in the playoffs last year. They are six and one now against the uh, Cleveland Cavaliers with Stephen Curry and Kevin Durant in the NBA Finals. Like it's just, I think we've overthought it a little bit, and I think we already saw the biggest test. And the I, I, there is something where Pablo Torre talked about this, I believe, on High Noon today, which everybody should check out with Bomani Jones at noon on ESPN. Um, that there's this just reactionary nature in sports that just clouds our judgment after game after game. But I felt pretty good even going to the series based on, even with how they 
eked out a series victory against the Rockets. And you can argue about whether or not they would have won the series if Chris Paul hadn't gotten hurt. But then again, if they had Andre Godala, like it's probably not even going that long. And there's just there's a lot of different ways that argument can go. But with a healthy Godala, like I just who has been able to just rest basically for a couple weeks now. I don't really know why the Warriors aren't just going to step on the gas now and just kind of go for a sweep here because they the Cavs did get one last year, but it felt like that Cavs team was better than the Cavs team this year, and just I, I don't think it's that. They, they were. It's not. A, yeah. yeah, they were. Um, and now they're in a lot of trouble. LeBron may have missed his best shot to at least steal one game in this series, and um. The Warriors don't lose that often when they have Kevin Durant and Steph Curry playing basketball on the same team to, Le- to LeBron James. It's a little bit different when it's not Harrison Barnes. Yeah, what what I think is really interesting to me is like, um, I feel like the Warriors have actually looked more vulnerable than than they have in the past. And, you know, like, Obviously, they, they ended up losing the 2016 finals, which, uh, you know, multiple circumstances had to go against them for that to happen. But what I thought was interesting is like, you know, going back to the Houston series, I do think if Chris Paul was healthy, um, you know, I, I think the Rockets would have won that series in, in seven. Uh, you know, you could you bring know? up. Wait. I, I do. I honestly do. I, I think the way the way their offense collapsed in, in the second half of both game six and game seven, like, yes, the, the Warriors had their, their trademark third quarter flurries, but I just felt like the Rockets were, were so undisciplined and, and kind of chaotic offensively down the stretch where, you know, that that's where Chris Paul, um, you know, he, he comes in, he slows the pace down, he manipulates possession. He really runs the offense. I, I think they, I honestly thought, you know, really in game four and game five, which, they, they, you know, they ended up winning uh, both those games when it, it looked like they could have lost either one. I thought Chris Paul was better than James Harden, and I, you know, I'm sure a lot of people felt that. Like I felt up through the first five games, Chris Paul was their best player, not James Harden. And the fact that he went out, and I, I don't like the false equivalency of saying, uh, you know, I, I do think if he could all was healthy, the Warriors would have won. But let's not try to compare Chris Paul's, in, you know, like taking Chris Paul off is like taking Steph Curry or Kevin Durant off of. Now, both guys are better than him, but it's taking off one of your two best players, and the, the Rockets don't have the same depth. You know, um, you know take, taking Iguodala off is more of like taking Trevor Ariza off the Rockets or something like that. Like, uh, I think that's a, that's a more you know, similar comparison. So, anyway, like my po- point being, I, I thought the, the Warriors were very vulnerable in the conference finals, and really with, with the way they, they played in game one and kind of the first half or first three quarters of, of game two, I was like, if Kyrie had just stayed, and, and he would have to be healthy, obviously, um, I felt like that, like last year's Cleveland team, might have been able to either be one-one or up two-zero on, on these Warriors. Like they have not looked that good. It's just the teams that they've they've had to face haven't really been able to challenge them besides the Rockets. But they have, you know, there's just something about it. I think it could simply just be that Iguodala is out and they're not that deep. Um, but but so far in the first two games, they haven't really impressed me. I, I just think it's been like who does Cleveland have right now? Like, you know, who can they rely on besides LeBron? I, really no one. Um, and, and, you know, I'm simplifying it a little bit, but I do think what, you know, my biggest takeaway is, is the Warriors have looked beatable. I just don't think this Cleveland team can beat them. 
I would agree that they look beatable. And part of that you hit on that I think is the biggest uh, thing that I've pulled from the Warriors postseason struggles this year because they did go 16 and one last year and they only had one loss in the entire postseason to the Cavs in the finals but what we're seeing I think with this team that's just part of the deal when you have four superstars is they're gonna have depth problems and Zach Lowe's talked about this where it's like they have way too many bigs like you have David West you have Zaza guys who played in the regular season that just can't play in the playoffs so they're down like Patrick McCall has been hurt, which has been a huge problem for them, but they really have had to rely way too much on Kevon Looney and Nick Young, and that's about it. Um, the, gone are the days of Anderson Vergeau, Leandro Barbosa, just a bunch of people to help Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, Draymond, etc. just uh, stay fresh and stay afloat. Now it's just four guys, and then it's it's rough. So when you are missing someone like... Andre Iguodala for a serious stretch it's it's gonna show a it, it's just gonna show that this is a team that um will never reach immortality again just because it's really hard to play this many games at a high level when you are so top heavy but uh, it kind of reminds me of the Miami days with LeBron down especially not the like last year but maybe um in that middle part of his tenure with Wade and Bosch where it's like there's only so much you can do when you have this many stars on one team and part of the sacrifice with that is playing a lot of games where more is asked of the stars than in years past where the 73 and 10 team had a bunch of more options but uh, Curry got injured Draymond got suspended and all that and that affected everything but I think that's been the biggest difference for me is just seeing how difficult it is to even uh, just play Warriors basketball when they're as top-heavy as they are. I think Kevin Durant's shouldering a gigantic load. Uh, Curry's obviously shouldering a big load. Klay Thompson um, has had to deal with a little bit of injury issues. And Draymond uh, is still very critical to what they're doing. But um, none of those guys can really afford to have a bad game or it gets really tight. And... Um, I don't know. I, I think ultimately they're still a great team. They're still going to win, but this is going to be something that doesn't go away because there's no way to really remedy this situation. Uh, the Jordan Bell picks in the second round obviously help, but they're just they're going to have depth problems as long as they have four superstars in the same team making a lot of money. Yeah, and I, I think that was definitely the Durant cost because like the first two years, 14, 15, and 15, 16, before Durant got there, you saw those teams were much deeper. Um, you know, they, they kind of went like 10, 11 deep. Then, then last year's team was felt kind of like eight, nine deep. And this year's team is almost like, you know, besides, Seven. yeah, like besides Iguodala and Livingston, who do you trust off the bench? And that, you know, and with Iguodala starting, it's really like, you know, after Livingston, like Kavon Looney, Jordan Bell, kind of inconsistent. JaVale, you really never know what you're getting from him night to night. And, He's one of those guys that, um, you know, Bill Simmons would always say, like, there's certain guys where they're going to give you a certain amount of, of production in, in a certain amount of time, whether you play them more time or not. So, like, JaVale, it's like he's going to give you five minutes of, of solid play, and you play him 15 minutes, you're still getting five minutes of solid play. So, um, you know, David West has, has looked a lot older this season and this postseason. Like, uh, Zaza's out of the rotation completely. It is really weird that they have so many centers for like, you know, 
the Warriors were kind of, even though there there were the Suns and there were the Le- LeBron Heatles and like even those Spurs teams, um, the Warriors kind of get a credit uh, in a lot of ways for like the modern small ball, kind of figuring out how to still play really good defense while while going small. But you know, for such a progressive like front office, uh, it is really weird for them to have like six or seven uh, just plotting big men on on the roster. Uh, you know, and it's it's not just been them signing multiple big men. It's been them drafting, like, you, you know, uh, Damian Jones, Kevon Looney, Jordan Bell. Like, they just saw, you know, I've been drafting big man after big man. And you'd like to think, like, if they had, if they maybe could switch two of those bigs for wings, like, they would be in a much better position, um, you know, granted that the ring, the, the wing is, like, somewhat replacement level. Like, they would be in a much better position than right now having to be, like, we have like five big men that just can't play right now, um, seeding up roster spots. So, uh, I, I, what I'm interested for, and this is, you know, already off to next season, uh, depending on what the Celtics do this summer, uh, I think they're going to probably be the favorite to come out of the East next year, uh, unless LeBron goes to Philly and maybe that makes them the favorite. Uh, but I, I really think a healthy Celtics team with Kyrie and Gordon Hayward would be a fascinating matchup for the Warriors because they theoretically have the, those like six, seven, six, eight guys that can switch with the Warriors. They have the, the closer in Kyrie that can kind of match up with Steph. And we know they've already gone head to head in the finals. Like, I think that's a really interesting matchup. And like the Celtics are kind of the one team that I'm looking at in, in theory that might be able to keep up with the Warriors next season. Um, I know it's kind of jumping ahead into maybe a different conversation, but uh, just you kind of mentioning you know, I was talking about the vulnerability. That that's kind of where that had me headed for for next year. You're right, and I have some Celtics thoughts. But um, another thing with this team, with the depth issues and everything else, is I wonder if Bob Myers and Steve Kerr are going to go into this offseason like, okay, so I'm not sure you can really rely on Andre. I think he's what 33 um, for next year and he's going to continue to have injury issues and it's just part of his age it's part of the miles it's part of a lot of things but I, I wonder if that's their new focus Um, is like okay we cannot get to the point where we're in the playoffs where we have four stars and it be as painful as it has been the last couple of weeks without Andre like they've got to have some sort of alternative because Livingston's fine for right now but they they obviously have a minutes cap on Sean Livingston. He can only play a certain amount of minutes a night and they're trying to keep him around from the long haul because he still has a couple more years, but he's been in the league for like 15. So they, they have to be careful with him. And I wonder if it's like, do they go after like a Tyreek Evans or something? Like they have to add, I think some sort of like poor man's Andre to kind of like, it can't be Patrick McCaw cause that's just not who he is. But it, I wonder if they in like, what we were talking about with the big situation where they have all these bigs that just can't play in the playoffs. Um, if they try and trade for Tyreek Evans from Memphis or something, like give up their late first for Tyreek or whoever. Like, I wonder if they go after a playmaker on offense who will come in there and ensure that they don't fall into the traps that they sometimes fall into with a player like Kevin Durant, who is an incredible isolation player, but at times that will bog them down and they'll get into ruts and we saw that against houston we saw that a little bit in game one against the Cavs. like you need somebody in that lineup who is not kevon looney who can keep the warriors from falling into an isolation heavy style and go back to the warriors basketball that uh, i think we all fell in love with a couple years ago so 
I, I wonder how they approach the offseason because if we've learned anything, it's that this team is kind of oddly, crazily reliant on Andre, Andre Guadalla's playmaking, diverse skill set, and just keeping the Warriors playing the right way. Yeah. Um, I, I think people, and then that's where, you know, when I was making that Rockets comparison, like maybe comparing Iguodala to someone like Ariza isn't a fair comparison just because Iguodala is really the cliche. I, think it's I mean, maybe, maybe it's kind of a fair value wise or, you know, skill set wise, how, how good they are this current state. But I do really think like Iguodala is the Warriors blue guy. And he's, you know, really it's him and Draymond that make that thing go in terms of, just giving, you know, Iguodala's perimeter defense has really been the thing that, um, you know, looking at, uh, the, I thought that one of the craziest stats heading into this year's finals was, you know, for, for the, how dominant the Warriors were last year, they're actually outscored, um, I think by like 60 points or something when Iguodala was off the court. But it's just when Iguodala was on the court, they were like plus 120 or something like ridiculous. So, and you kind of saw that in game one, like the downside of not having him of just, you know, like, they don't really have a LeBron stopper outside of Iguodala. Like KD, Clay, and Draymond can each have their moments here or there, but like Iguodala is their best defender on LeBron and, and pretty much any dominant wing scorer. Um, so you miss him there, but then really like, uh, you know, Clay, for as good as, you know, Kevin Durant has become as a, as a playmaker and passer, um, I still would not say that's like a great strength of his. And, and we know Clay is somewhat still limited as a ball handler and playmaker. So, you know, really, there's a lot of times when it's just Steph and Draymond as, as the only, um, you know, ball handler playmakers on the court for the, for the Warriors. And I think that's where you miss Iguodala, too, of just, you know, he's going to always make the right play. He's going to, you know, he's very unselfish. He's, he's going to find Clay. He's going to find Steph. Um, he's going to pass up his own shot, for, you know, a better shot. And then when he's shooting the ball, it's just like the icing on the cake. Uh, so I think you, you see he has a huge impact on them on both ends. He's their fifth best player, but he's by far the best fifth best player in the league. Um, and, you know, it'd be a lot of teams, like probably third best player. So uh, I know he's dropped off a bit, uh, you know, athletically, but, uh, you know, I, I think he, he's so integral to what they do. You know, I could see happening this summer for them. Will Barton. He makes $3 million this year. He turned down a four-year extension with Denver this past offseason. I could definitely see him fitting in nicely and being like, I don't know, it's going to be tight to make it all work and they still have to put in the Durant extension and everything else. But um, I could see someone like that, maybe a let, because I think he would cost less than uh, Evans or whoever. But that would be like a sneaky, a, a really, really great pickup for them just to have like Andre Gudala insurance. That's what I just think they need to focus on this offseason is who can we bring in to insure if Iguodala gets goes down again, because he probably will at some point, um, we have somebody else ready to go. And it cannot be Zaza Pachulia, David West, Patrick McCall, any of these names, Kevon <laughs> Looney, who will not be back. Like they have to have somebody else. And if you're already having like serious depth problems, just go. It, like I don't know what Barton's gonna bring in this offseason. That's it's gonna be tough. But uh, I, I don't know. That would be intriguing. That would feel really unfair for them to get Will Barton to be their 7th or 8th guy, but if they're able to give Nick Young's minutes and uh, Kevon Looney's minutes to somebody like Will Barton and Andre Godala, it's a huge win for them, and then it's just, 
I mean, they're already unbeatable, but like then it's just like, what? What? What are we supposed to do with this? <laughs> I mean, yeah, I, I think Will Barton would be. I, I don't. I just. I don't know how much money he's looking for. That would be my um, only thing. But I think, if, yeah, if you added him, like he'd be an amazing fourth, fifth guy in, in most lineups that like they haven't really. They haven't really had a guy like, you know, the last guy I could kind of think of that was almost like a spark plug like him would be like, remember like Barbosa, but, but Bar- yeah. well, you know, Barton's better than Barbosa. That's what he fits. Um, yeah. I think but, he's, uh, I, I think that that's a good comparison. I think somebody like him um, and Barbosa played clutch time um, a couple of years ago. It's not like Kerr didn't use him. Kerr trusted him and they still had Livingston on the roster and he still turned to Barbosa in big moments. Like um, Kerr likes veterans. We know that. Yeah, and, and um, I, I think, like, another guy, like, that's kind of what this team was, like, missing, I feel like, and you kind of thought it would be Nick Young, and he, he's had a couple moments here and there, but he just hasn't really been consistent. It's like, they, you know, they had the Barbosa, they had most Spates, like, they just had these, these instant offense guys you could kind of just throw in there, and they could drop 10, 12 points in a quarter and kind of really swing things when when they kind of went with their, their bench lineups, and they, ha- they just haven't had that, and um, you know, Nick Young, I, I, like I said, he's had his, his moments here and there, but he's not been consistent. Uh, and, you know, he gives up so much defensively and just in terms of uh, his, his lack of energy and just doesn't really bring much to the, the table if he's not shooting well. And then they, they haven't really had that at all from any of their bigs. So um, I think that they're really hurting depth wise. And, and that's really the only thing that can kind of, you know, I could kind of see Cleveland getting a game. Uh, just because of that, maybe, but I still think it's a sweep, and I, I think it's, um, the, you know, for, for as well as they shot in game two, the Warriors still haven't really had one of their characteristic, like, crazy shooting games. Uh, if yeah. they have one of those, like, you know, you know they're winning that game, and it's probably an ugly blow. And it's blowout. not like Curry, like, went ape shit. Like, he yeah. took 17 threes. It was just that he was getting, like, you cannot allow him to get off 17 threes. That's what it was. It's not just how many he made. It's more of, like, how do you let Steph Curry get that much separation to jack up 17 threes on you? Like that's that, I mean, that's the Cavs defense in a nutshell, but like that give and go play where he just sprints around and uh, like, he only needs just a second. His release is so quick and he's just a rhythm shooter and everything else where it's just, it's not fair, but at the same time they're I feel like they're going to lose every game. Steph Curry gets 17 shots from deep off like that. That's a recipe for disaster. For this Cleveland defense. Yeah. Um, and that was, that was my biggest for thing. disaster for this Cleveland decent defense. What? Um, playing against Kevin Durant, and Steph Curry. <laughs> um, like that, that was my thing with, with people kind of, cause you know, I saw a lot of people, um, like we have our, uh, our ESPN projection or, uh, you know, predictions with our, our 22 writers and, and experts that, that we put out. And I was really mm-hmm. surprised. Like, um, I think only one person, and it was Chris Herring of 538, picked the sweep. And okay. then about half of them picked five, which which seemed to be yeah. the consensus for most people because most people want to give a broad game. It's and then the other out. half, like all those five game, like all those people who picked Warriors in five, all thought that this could be a sweep. They just they, uh, they didn't, didn't want to yeah. do it. I think it was like a weird. How is that disrespectful though? Why are we going down the road that that's like a disrespectful thing to say LeBron doesn't get a game? 
Well, he's playing Jordan Clarkson. Like they're like it's just it's not disrespectful. LeBron is still great, but also they can get swept, and it's not disrespect. I I don't understand that. But anyway, continue. So yeah, but so so and I had I had Cavs since because I posted uh, I posted on Instagram and Twitter my official prediction for the series is is Warriors sweeping, and I had Cavs fans reaching out and saying like, you know, how can you say that when? when Anthony, you know, Anthony Davis and the Pelicans were good enough to get a game and the Marcus Aldridge was good enough to, to lead, you know, the Spurs to a game. And I was like, well, first off, you know, the Spurs, Steph Curry didn't play in the first round. So, um, you know, you, the Warriors without Curry or Durant, uh, especially Curry, as, as we've kind of seen in this, in this postseason, like, you know, Curry kind of is the engine of, of the whole offense. And, and when Curry is going – or at least when his presence is there, um, you know, they're just such a different team with and without him. So without Curry, it's, it's you know, while the, that Spurs team, I think might have been the worst team in the playoffs or arguably the worst team in the playoffs. Um, I, I do think like them getting a game with, with no Curry, you know, whatever it is, what it is. Uh, the Pelicans, the Pelicans are playing out of their mind at that time. And, and Steph actually had his, his worst game of the playoffs in the game that the Pelicans won. Um, so. That, uh, you know, I also write off to Steph just came back. He was a couple games back, and, and he had a bad game, and, and the Pelicans won. Uh, but, you know, with how bad this, this team around LeBron is, I, I really don't think people get it. I, I think, you know, like you are mentioning, Pablo saying everyone reacts to stuff. Like, I think people were overreacting to the fact that they, they beat the Raptors and Celtics and kind of just mm-hmm. thinking, you know, this, this roster is better than it is. Like, I was like, even if they shoot the ball well, which they – you know, that's the funny thing is like, this is a shooting team that has just not shot the ball well for, you know, almost a month now. Um, you know, looking at, looking just defensively, like I just didn't see how they could keep up with the Warriors. Like they would have to, you know, have one of their, like last year's game three, they made 24 threes, uh, finals record, one of the best shooting performances in NBA history. That's what it took to win a game with Kyrie on the roster without Kyrie. You know, I just don't see how, how they were going to shoot well enough to overcompensate for their defense because they're so bad defensively. Uh, you know, they really have no depth and, and they're forced to play guys like Jordan Clarkson who, who takes so much away on both ends. Like he, he shoots them out of possess, you know, out of the game really offensively and then defensively, it's terrible. Um, and, and, you know, I, I was really high on Ronnie Hood. I, I thought he would be a lot better, but that just hasn't worked Same. out. And, um, you know, if you're Cleveland, I, I just, yeah, I, I don't really see how, unless LeBron goes, I mean, Le, LeBron had arguably really the best game of his playoff career or, or you know, top I was three, say, we've top already five. Seen it. You're about to say if he goes supernova, it's like we, are, we already saw it and they still lost. He dropped 51 points and they lost. Like, that's insane. Um, and and, and that, that was the other part, too, to that thing was like, it wasn't just that the Cavs played well, it was that LeBron played arguably the best he can play and, and they still lost. And it's like, if you look at that, like no matter how well LeBron plays, he's probably not going to play better than game one. And uh, I, I just don't really see it. Can I give you my LeBron take workshop that I'm still thinking about and still trying to decide if I'm going to write a column on this or not? Please. So I think this whole season, this whole postseason run for LeBron James has been exactly what he needed. I think it's been great for him. I think he's enjoyed this. I think he 
like LeBron has been the story of the postseason. He goes for 51 in game one. They, the Cavs lose. And despite everything LeBron did to wield them to victory, like things that were just out of his hands cost him the game. Um, he has basketball fan sympathy. He has Bill Simmons putting him at number two on his all-time list now. You have so many things where people are like every day it's a new let's appreciate LeBron James like let's do this let's do that and he's become like this beloved tragic figure that's carrying this garbage to the NBA finals again and we forget that LeBron knew coming into the year especially without Kyrie he was not gonna win the NBA finals so this year has basically like it's been about LeBron showing just how good he is and what he's capable of doing even without any talent um, around him anymore. Even after so many years in the NBA with so much tread on the tires that he is still able to wield the team to the NBA Finals and almost beat the Warriors in Game 1 in Oracle with just nothing else around him. It's like it's one of the most impressive playoff runs ever that would not have happened if Kyrie Irving was still on this roster. Like, he knew he was not going to win a title this year. The Cavs knew that like without Kyrie, this was not a finals winning team. And this is the next best thing for LeBron. Like I'm not saying he doesn't want to win a title, but I think he, this is one of those good legacy years for him that you're going to look back on. Like, I think we're going to remember this LeBron season more than last year. I think outside of the Kyrie shot to beat the Warriors, like this might be the biggest season of his career because of everything he was able to do with Jordan Clarkson and Larry Nance and Tristan Thompson and Kevin Love and just he has been incredible and there's no one who watches basketball who's not just like this guy is just playing at another level and it's still not enough to beat the Warriors and not even come close it's it's like Westbrook from last year combined with Harden this year but on another level I think it's just <laughs> It's been amazing for him. So that that's my take is actually LeBron has had the perfect season and he knew he was never going to win a title. And this is the next best thing. Is that crazy? Well, it, it's funny. You just brought that up because I don't know if you follow Jay King on, uh, on Twitter, but he posted a theory today um, that he almost feels like LeBron intentionally, uh, and I'm paraphrasing here, so I don't really want to misrepresent what he was, he was trying to say. You should, check out his stream of tweets but um he was basically saying um that he feels like lebron did this intentionally that you know he kind of built uh lebron um that he did this intentionally where he he put basically like a crappy team around him so i'm here for this so he would have the you know there's only upside really where if he Mm. loses you can't, you know, you can't blame LeBron because he's playing really well, and it's just you just boil it down to he has a crappy supporting cast and he's playing the Warriors, and the Warriors are a historic team. If he wins, this was the then, Warri- this was that, the Thunder narrative with that, Westbrook after Kevin Durant left. It's just, and then, and then if he wins, yeah. like it, it might possibly great. make him the, the the goat because you know if if he beat the you know let's just say hypothetically they like beat this Warriors team in six or seven games like. That's the ultimate, I think, feather in his cap when when looking at yeah, Jordan. Like that, that would be the most impressive championship either player has. I would agree. Um, 
And, and, you know, that, that kind of takes that, that argument to, to a different level. So I think he, he was kind of framing it as he, he thinks LeBron almost intentionally um, built this type of team around him. So, you know, still decent enough where he has a chance to make a run, but not good enough to realistically have a chance to, to win it all. And, and then um, really just kind of playing with house money at that point because uh, I love yeah. this take. So now I don't know how much of a stretch that is. Uh, I, I don't I think assume, it is. Well, cause I, you'd assume like he, he wants, you know, he, he wants the best team possible. Uh, I, I think, I think maybe once the writing was on the wall with the whole it, like Wayne Wade, Jay Crowder. I think he knew part. the second Kyrie wanted out, like the second they traded Kyrie, he knew the season was, was just over. Yeah. I, I think that's definitely possible. Um, I mean, he had to know that IT was in bad shape. Like, I think that was like one of those. Like, if you're in the NBA, especially, like, I'm sure he's he asked around and was like, "Oh no, this is this is not going to work." I mean, look, Le- LeBron is as calculated as they come. So, if if yeah. that really is the case, then you know, if anyone's capable of doing something like this, it, it's him. But also, I don't blame him if that's what he did do. And like, it's a smart move. Like, it's savvy. It's smart and. Like we said, like if it, if the unthinkable happened and he did knock off the Warriors, like I think that cements him as the greatest of all time. I think that would push him over Jordan. Like, how would you argue with that? Like this team beating four All Stars, four future Hall of Famers in their prime, with just nobody. I, I don't know how you would trump that argument. Like it's just it all works out. Um, David Griffin. We're transitioning a little bit here. He, uh, um, he, he's uh, stirring a little bit up with uh, his comments on the leg up stuff with LeBron and the Sixers and Ben Simmons being repped by Rich Paul and that being something to wa- monitor and watch. But um, is that fair? Do you think it really matters that much that they share an agent? Or if it was just like, even if they didn't, like, would that still be something where it was like LeBron looks at Ben Simmons and he looks at Embiid and he looks at that roster and he, um, you know, I, I don't really know what to make of it, but I do think it's interesting that they have a leg up and obviously Vegas agrees because Vegas is uh, growing more fond of the idea of LeBron joining the Sixers this summer, but um, where are you at with that? I, I would say in most cases it wouldn't matter if it weren't LeBron. You know what I mean? Because Everything we've seen from him, you know, basically since he entered the league has been all about him and his guys. He, you know, famously empowered his friends and and helped them become power players in their respective fields and professions and kind of like set up this really like internal super team where, you know, you have Rich and you have Maverick and, um, you know, just, you know, obviously LeBron uh, and, and, you know, they're the best at what they do. And I think, you know, the fact that Ben Simmons is with Rich Paul, um, you know, I think that matters to LeBron uh, to to some level. I mean, you you also saw like, you've seen how being associated with LeBron has helped guys in contract negotiations, J.R. Smith, Tristan Thompson, Eric Bledsoe, like there are a lot of benefits to being associated with LeBron. um, But I'm, I'm sure that also comes with the cost of, in a lot of ways, I know we're going to get to Drake a little bit later, but it kind of, you know, it's kind of like the Drake thing where, uh, 
you know, Drake has gotten a lot of flack for, you know, he co-signs people and kind of hops on their tracks and it gives them a level of exposure that they otherwise wouldn't have. But then if you're associated with Drake, he's kind of able to take any of your music or any of your songs whenever he wants. So the parallel I'm trying to make here is that, you know, it would not surprise me if one of the, the trade-offs of, of being associated with LeBron is like, well, LeBron wants to come to the Sixers and you're just going to kind of have to deal with it regardless of whether Ben Simmons wants that or not. Um, which, you know, you, you got to think like to some extent, Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid probably wouldn't want that because if LeBron comes, he becomes, you know, forget their pecking order. It becomes LeBron number one. And that's really all that matters. All the national media that's going to be there. Um, you know, the ball is going to be dominated by LeBron. That's, that's how it goes. And, uh, and yeah, but that said, I, I do think clearly he has a fondness for, for Griff. Um, he, he's brought him up in, in the past multiple times. And I do think if he ends up going to Philly, uh, I wouldn't say that's going to secure LeBron going to Philly. But to me, I think Philly makes the most sense only because it's still in the East. And I think if LeBron is going to leave, you go to the Rockets. I, I think that's a really weird fit with James Harden and Chris Paul. Uh, maybe he just replaces Chris Paul. And I think that would be a great, uh, you know, literally just replace what Chris Paul did this year and put LeBron there. Um, you know, that's a scary ass team. Uh, and then if he goes to the Lakers that, you know, for as good as he is, that's still probably like a three or four seed with their current roster at, at best. Uh, mm -hmm. So, you know, and, and either way, you're, you're probably facing the Warriors in, in the Western Conference Finals. So I think for him, the, the, the smarter move would be to stay in the East. And really, you know, besides Philly, I don't really see another team that makes sense, like unless you went to Boston, which I think would never happen. So for him, I, I'm almost starting to lean towards like, staying in Cleveland, which I really don't think he should do, or going to Philly, where, yeah, there's going to be a little bit of an awkward fit with him and Simmons, but um, I just think talent-wise, they're going to be so damn good that uh, it probably doesn't matter as long as the beat could stay healthy. Um, uh, but, so yeah, that, that, that's my take on it. Like, I do think Philly should be the favorite, but uh, I'm sure the, the percentages are probably more relatively even right now, and then we'll kind of see how the next like month plays out. Is it okay for me not to want to see LeBron in Philadelphia? Totally. Um, okay. I mean, the, the way, I, so I had this conversation with someone where I said, because they were like, you know, why would Philly want to want to mortgage their future for Okay, that's for LeBron. a dumb one too. It's like, no, 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 you mortgage for LeBron. There's well, like but, a handful also, of guys I'm like, in I'm like, the history there, of basketball you do that for. LeBron, like you the, do it. There's a scenario where like he signs, let's say he signs like a three-year max there or like a two plus one. Mm -hmm. You can just say like, okay, Simmons and Embiid are, are realistically probably another two or three years away from even beginning their prime and really hitting that place where like, you know, as long as they both stay healthy, that's going to be a scary ass playoff team for years to come. Like they already almost made the conference finals. Um, you know, that, that five game yeah. series was closer than it looked. Uh, so just imagine them two, three, four years on the road. So it, it, you can kind of imagine say like where they don't have to rely on Marco Bellinelli in crunch time. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Or, yeah, I mean, or JJ Redick running or off JJ. his nineteenth screen in the fourth quarter, getting get out, getting. I think they led the league in, uh, uh, led the playoffs in like most points from screens. I'm pretty sure that was like if you watch them, you were like, oh yeah, this is a team that just in the half court, like they have to work so hard on offense to get any sort of shot that's not a Joel Embiid look or a Ben Simmons layup. Like it is, uh, I feel like, like pulling teeth. They also led the league in incredibly dumb passes in crunch time. Where it was like, 
like they're running a play and they just force the pass even if the passing lane isn't there <laughs> and then they just they just had so many dumb turnovers and yeah it, it, that was frustrating but point being I, I think there's a there's a happy medium you can get to where basically you say okay the next three years like we're you know we're going to have lebron kind of lead ben simmons and joel Embiid. we're immediately going to become contenders and um you know then three years from now lebron can go back to cleveland finish his career in la whatever he wants to do and then now we kind of have Embiid and simmons with with multiple deep playoff runs maybe a championship or two potentially if everything goes right um and and so i that's the thing like i don't think i think if lebron goes to philly i don't I mean, maybe he finishes his career out there, but I don't think it's necessarily like a super long-term thing. I could see it being like a two or three year thing, kind of bridging the gap from where Simmons and Embiid are now to where they're going to be once they're in their mid to late 20s. Well, we've talked about how LeBron is just a really smart guy and he's a really smart basketball mind and he's always thinking three steps ahead, that kind of thing. And there is no way that he is not fully aware that if he were to go to Philadelphia, there it, it would not just be LeBron James in Philadelphia. It would be LeBron and Paul George, or it would be LeBron and Kawhi Leonard. Like, he is not going there by himself. That is one of those things where LeBron can talk to Kawhi this summer. He can talk to Paul George, and that's why the Lakers stuff will not go away. Um, he knows that if he goes to Philadelphia, him, Joel Embiid, Ben Simmons, and... Um, either Kawhi or Paul George is enough to win the East for the next couple of years. Like that is the best shot they have of challenging the Golden State Warriors in the East. Like Boston, like you said, is probably the next closest team, but he's not going to Boston. Boston has to pay like 35 young guys over the next couple of years. It's not happening. It's just, that's not, LeBron James is not going to be a Boston Celtic in his career. That is not happening. So the next closest option is Philadelphia. And, well, and, and Kyrie and Kyrie's there yeah. too. Let's not forget that. Yeah, I mean, that's obviously not great either. But uh, yeah, I just, it, it's Philadelphia. If he stays in the East, it has to be Philadelphia. And you, you just saw like what the Warriors had to go through in the West. And I mean, if does LeBron really want to go through that? Um, also, not sure the NBA uh, wants LeBron to go West because the East is already... Um, they're starving for stars at this point, I think. Too many stars went west in the last couple of years anyway. That if you have LeBron go west, that's uh, it's another uh, blow to the Eastern Conference star status but and star alignment. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think LeBron probably knows that uh, if I go to Philadelphia, I have the best chance of being the worst in the next couple of years. But if he goes to L.A. or Houston or stays in Cleveland, I think he also knows that his chances of ever beating the Warriors with their core is slim to none. So um, I think the highest upside is still Philadelphia, but at the same time, um, I don't know. I, I don't know if it's going to happen. I know LeBron's going to sign something like four years for $152 million. He's not taking a pay cut at this point in his career. It's not happening. Um, Kawhi would lose, I think, $30 million overall if he was traded to Philly or if he's traded for somewhere else because... I think the way the Supermax works for him, he would be getting like 220. And the next, cl- like if he gets traded, that team can only pay him, I think, 190 something over five years. So it's a lot of money he's going to leave on the table if he does actually force his way out of San Antonio. Um, it's $30 million over the course of the contract. So that's something to think about. But uh, the Sixers have $25 million in cap space. As of right now, they could stretch 
uh, Jerry Bayless over three years and um, clear up like three to five million. They could trade Covington, who's making ten million dollars a year, not re-sign JJ Redick, that kind of thing. So I think they can make it happen, but I'm still just not convinced that's what LeBron wants to do or will do. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm I'm looking at the, the the standings right now, and I really th- there is no other option in these. Like the only possibly conceivable one would be Miami. Go back to Miami, but it doesn't seem like he's fixed his relationship with Pat. And I still think you you know that roster is probably that roster is closer to Cleveland's roster than Philly's, in my opinion. So, and then West, like I just I don't see anywhere else besides. Um, Philly, I think you could make the case that he just stays in Cleveland. Um, you know, hope maybe they flip that pick and Kevin Love into something, um, you know, or, or just cap space and like Paul George signs there or something. But I, I think Philly makes the most sense. Uh, I really do. And like you said, you know, if he goes there, he's probably going with someone else. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think, I don't want to say it's like a no-brainer, but it really like it, it really sticks out. Now I do think if he goes there, Brian Colangelo is not going to be there. Um, well, he might not be there anyway. He might not be there anyway, but like, like I'm, I'm certain of two things. J.R. Smith will not be on LeBron's team next year. And Brian Colangelo yep. will not be on, uh, will not be his GM or president, whatever. Um, Which makes the David Griffin stuff that much more interesting because we know that he and Griff, have a good relationship and if that GM spot opened up uh, it seems pretty natural for Griffin to slide in to the GM spot there and that's a huge win by the way for Sixers fans if they replace Brian Colangelo with uh, David Griffin this summer now now watch LeBron watch the Sixers not fire Colangelo LeBron sign there and then the Sixers trade for jail <laughs> and maybe you're wrong on both of my absolutes do you remember when the Knicks uh, had the opportunity to hire David Griffin but refused because he wanted to bring in his own people? Yeah. The front office? Yeah. Good times. People forget that. Uh, so when you're talking yourself into the Knicks this summer, NBA fans, remember, this is a team that, um, this is a good transition into our last topic. The Knicks led the league in mid-range jumpers last year, but most importantly, they committed the most amount of money to centers in today's NBA at $42 million, which is 40% of their cap for 2017-2018 season. Incredible. The NBA is zigging one way, the Knicks are zagging. And uh, DeAndre Jordan, um, latest guy to fall into that trap where it's like, how much do you want to pay somebody like that? Because guess who is number two um, right behind the Knicks and paying a lot of money to centers in the NBA? It's a team that wants to get rid of their high-paid center who did not play a lot in the playoffs, Hassan Whiteside. Um, so Miami had to allocate a lot of money to him, Kelly Olynyk, guys like that. They don't want to do that. Cleveland, I'm sure they want to move on from Kevin Love or Tristan Thompson, especially the latter this offseason. Paying a lot of money to them. They're in the top five. Orlando, top five team in uh, paying a lot of money to centers. Not great. Hasn't gone well there. Shout out to the Big Mac Bayumbo and <laughs> Vucevic uh, front court that and Serge Ibaka. Uh, oh, what a time! Um, shout out to Rob Hennigan uh, and then Boston, where it's been the only one that I think has really worked because Al Horford is the highest paid center in basketball, and he deserves it. And he was incredible this postseason for Boston, and that's a good deal for them, and it worked out. But that's it. And the difference with Horford, 
um, from Jordan, from Whiteside, from all these other guys is he can shoot threes, he can pass, he can do everything you want as a five in today's NBA. DeAndre Jordan can't do that. He's still a productive player. He's still a good center. He's still someone that I think can play in crunch time um, against the Warriors or the top level teams in the NBA. That said, I am absolutely terrified of paying somebody like DeAndre Jordan. And the Dallas Mavericks are reportedly not going to dip back into the cookie jar and go down that uh, awkward rabbit hole that just enthralled all of us a couple summers ago uh, when he was held hostage um, by the Los Angeles Clippers to keep him away from Mavericks. But uh, yeah, I just I think it's probably smart that they're not going to go down that road. But at the same time, I'm really curious to see what DeAndre Jordan gets this summer because um, I'm I'm strictly on the team. Don't pay any centers who can't shoot threes or defend multiple positions. That's where I'm at. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I think you saw with, and it, it's a particular scenario, but you saw the way Clint Capella um, kind of thrived this season with the Rockets in, in the role they had him in. And I think that's, you know, a similar to how the Clippers were using DeAndre uh, during the Chris Paul era, but but kind of also how you would want him to be used, um, you know, moving forward wherever he ends up if it's not on the Clippers. Um, I'm actually leaning towards thinking he might just opt in because it's such a weird market. And I know we've talked about this in the past, like looking at the teams with cap space, it is your, your Dallas's, your Brooklyn's, your Atlanta's, uh, you know, Lakers are attractive, but it's like, you know, Bulls and, and I think Pacers might have some cap space. Like, it isn't really a lot of, of sexy teams. And if you're DeAndre, someone who, you know, obviously Clippers missed the playoffs this season, but the previous six seasons were, were in the playoffs. Um, I don't know if you want to go to like a bottom five, bottom 10 team. I mean, maybe if it's all about money for him, sure. But I think next year's right. free agency is going to look a lot better as a lot of these 2016 uh, contracts come off the books or start to at least. So uh, I, I think for DeAndre, it might make more sense. Like, I, like I'm, I'm pretty confident if he opts out, he's not getting an, an you know, an annual value uh, the same. Cause I think he's going to be making what, like 26, 27 next year. I do not think his, mm-hmm. his next contract is going to start at 26 or 27 a year. Uh, maybe he signs like a 360, 480, you know, and it's a little bit lower annual value for, for more guaranteed money. But um, I, I agree with you, like, especially with DeAndre, he, he's so, uh, you know, dependent on his athleticism. And you've seen a guy like Tyson Chandler, um, you know, remain still productive into like 36, 37. But it is pretty rare for guys like that who are, who are so, um, you know, uh, athleticism dependent. And, you know, if, if DeAndre doesn't have that. Like, yes, he's he's still you know large and, and has length, but um, you know he's not. And really, I, I thought. I mean, I don't know how much you watched the Clippers this season, but I thought this is a really weird season for him. Like, it, he was still putting up like you know thirteen, fourteen rebounds a game, and then getting his like eleven, twelve empty. points. But it felt very empty. And and defensively, I didn't feel like he was the same player at all. I thought he kind of. I don't know if he checked out. He, he never really seemed in shape this season. He seemed a little heavier. Like. It was just a really weird season for him. And I don't know if that was just like him kind of seeing the writing on the wall of like, this team isn't that good. So like, what the hell am I playing for? But then again, I don't know if you want to, you know, commit long-term money to a guy like that. Um, 
And that's just pure speculation on my end. That's nothing I, I know, but uh, it just was a really weird season for DeAndre. And um, I completely agree with you. Like I would not, you know, for the ideal scenario if I was a team looking at him is like 345, but I, I don't see any war universe in which he agrees to like 345. Um, so I should mention that um, if he if he gets 26 annually for three years, that would put him at right behind Horford, who got 28. So that would make him the second highest paid five in the NBA. And I don't know what team is going to do that because the other guys in that list, one of them, it's the one of the worst contracts in basketball right now in Hassan Whiteside at 25 a year. But then you have Joel Embiid at 25, still a bargain. Um, Andre Drummond, kind of divisive, but I still like him in a vacuum. Steven Adams has still been a home run for Oklahoma City. That was a no-brainer. Marcus Gasol's contract seems like it's getting worse with age. Dwight Howard is making $23 million next year. Shout out to that. Um, <laughs> Gobert, 23. That's fine. But then you get past that, and it's awful. You have Ennis Kanter, Joachim Noah, Tristan Thompson, Bismack Biombo, Jonas Valachunas, Timofey Mozgov, Ian Mahimni, Robin Lopez, Tyson Chandler, Gorgie Jang. Like, it's a murderer's row after that. So there's only a handful of guys. You can count them on one hand that you would really be okay giving 25% of your cap to a big man. Like, it's just DeAndre doesn't fit that mold. Like, the only ones I'd be comfortable with is Embiid, Adams, and that might, and Horford, I guess. I I think that's it. So, like, what do you do there? I mean, there's going to be a couple young guys who obviously are going to rise up the charts there. You'll, KP is eventually going to get there. Um, Towns will get there, and that's fine. But there's only a couple of those guys, too, that eventually are going to get up to that point where they're making $30 million a year for their team um, as a big man. So, I don't know. I like DJ, but I also just would not pay him what I think he's going to get this summer. But at the same time, if you're a team like Washington, do you do whatever you can to maneuver, to bring him in, to kind of shake things up a little bit, and uh, finally move on from the Martian Gortat? I I, I, I mean, it would make sense. Like, I would understand why they would do that, because they're still a really good team, and that starting five is still really good. And John Wall and DJ feel like a really good fit together. Like, that would make sense. But there's only a few teams that I think are in a position to win now and also be able to pay DeAndre Jordan without just gutting their team and kind of holding their team back. So I don't know. I think it's going to be interesting. What I do think is more interesting though, for this team is if they sign Boogie Cousins, because the Dallas Mavericks have a history now of signing guys who are coming off a torn Achilles, like DeMarcus Cousins is like Wesley Matthews. That contract has not gone well. Good locker room guy. He's not shooting. He's just not the same guy. And it's really sad because I loved Portland Wesley Matthews, but that's just not who he is anymore. And it, it would be interesting to see them go after another guy who's coming off a torn Achilles after their experience with Matthews. So um, I get the infatuation with Boogie, but the Mavericks don't pay big men either. Like they paid big men 7.67% of the cap this year. Like they were trotting out a bunch of guys. Like, I mean, the Nerlens Noel stuff obviously did not work out. You have uh, Salam Majiri, um, who's fine, good defensive center, but I, I just don't, they don't seem like a logical fit, but at the same time, if they are able to get cousins on a bargain, do you do that for two or three years? Like it, I don't know, two for 40. I, I don't know. Something like that. I think you could sell me on, but, uh, outside oh, of that, I, oh, it's, um, it's, some, it's weird. Some breaking news on, on oh, the no. podcast. I don't know. Well, it's 11 minutes old, but I, you know, we haven't brought it up yet. Uh, Monty Williams has agreed to join Brett, Brown, uh, Brett Brown's coaching staff as the lead assistant. Oh. 
So I, good, I think I think that makes Philly story. even more um, intriguing of a spot. I think a lot of guys really like Monty Williams. Yeah, I mean, he's probably that's, that's going per to be their new defensive coordinator, right? Because that's what Lloyd Pierce was yeah. um, for them, and he's now the coach of the Hawks. So that's a really good deal. It seems like being the lead assistant for Brett Brown is um, it's a good gig. Good for him. Good guy. Yeah, so... Wasn't he rumored to be in the serious consideration for the Bucks job a few weeks ago? And, he, and they ultimately... I, I think so. Yeah. yeah. Huh. Um, I don't know. Well, that's cool. But uh, yeah, I think I think the biggest takeaway from everything we just talked about is uh, there's gonna have to be a thirty for thirty on the 2016 free agency. <laughs> it's like uh, it's it's so weird how 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 much like you know from from covering all this and just being around you know sports media and, and whatnot. Um, you know the rise of analytics over the last few years and just teams being more analytic driven and stuff. Um, and then it's like crazy to me that the 2016 free agency isn't even, you know, two years old. And like, look at all the dumb contracts that were signed and not only dumb contracts, it's, you know, it's one thing to sign guys to ridiculous contracts, but all the big men that were like, like in what world was, were, you know, Timothy Mozgov or, or Jan Mahimni worth 16 million a year. Like it's just, why I got four years for 98. I mean, like Whiteside, uh, at least, you know, was not worth that. But in, you could talk yourself into like I think that year before he was like fifteen and thirteen. I shouldn't and pick on like, him because that's the same summer that Bismack Biombo got four for seventy two. Joakim Noah got four seventy two. Ryan Anderson got four eighty. Oh my god! Like just there were so many dumb contracts. Chandler, poor Chandler, four for ninety four. <laughs> oh man. Just awful. Evan Turner, four for 70. Dwight for three for seven. Oh, my God. Ian Mahimney. All these deals, they're all terrible. Miles Plumley, four for 50. I, uh... Solomon Hill, four for 48. Jordan Clarkson, four for 50. <laughs> Unbelievable. What a time. I, I I'm right there with you. We need a thirty for thirty on the twenty sixteen free agent extravaganza. Well, and and the mastermind behind all of it. I mean, not all of it, but some of it is uh, is now presiding over the Charlotte Hornets, Mister Mitch Kupchak, who signed, who really screwed the center market by signing Mozgov to that deal. Yeah, and now they uh, don't even really use centers anymore. That's a good transition to the last. Thing I wanted to touch on real quick. Um, guy that I'm fascinated by, we both like, I think, Julius Randle. He's going to be an RFA this summer. It doesn't seem clear whether or not the Lakers are going to bring him back because they are they want their cap space, and they also just kind of have to think about their roster construction and who their five are, who their six, five, six guys are. And he was really good for them this year. Like Luke Walton got a lot out of him. He played really well at the five, and the bully ball stuff was really fun and different. Um but he's been rumored to also be on the Mavs radar. I, I kind of like that more than anything, but I also have no idea what he's going to get and what his value is going to... Uh, like. How do you see it all working out for Randall? Because I think he made money this season. Like I think going into this year, I was pretty down on his chances of getting a big RFA tender, but now it seems like he's probably going to get a nice deal from somebody, right? Yeah, I, I think Julius, um, with... You know, 
it's funny. It, it kind of, you know, memory is a tricky thing. And, and as we were talking about earlier, like overreacting to stuff like Julius really put in a, a impressive last like couple months of the season. Um, and I think that's going to stick in a lot of people's minds when, when they think of him. Uh, I think he, he's, he's fascinating because he really is like, he, he, you know, similar to, as we were talking about the Andre, like Julius, I think has a lot of the same issues in terms of, he's just not really like a modern big man. Like, you know, cause what, what's the thing with, with all modern big men, it's kind of like, you have to be able to do one of two things really, really well which is like space the floor or protect the rim. He can't do either, uh, but he is kind of an old school, uh, you know, plays bully ball, uh, you know, can, can really drive and score on anybody. Uh, I don't, don't really think there's anyone that I've seen be able to, to successfully like shut him down strength wise. Um, you know, he's, he's a good rebounder, uh, solid ball handler and passer for big, uh, but defensively there's just, you know, it's, I don't really know what to make of him. Like he has his moments where you're kind of like, okay, maybe he could play some five and like, you know, you know in stretches. I think he can play five though. I think that's his spot. I think he like, can. I, the five man units on the Lakers, those best lineups with Randall were at the five. Like he struggled playing next to Lopez a lot. But if you look at his numbers, like, so I'm going to give out a couple Clarkson, Hart, Brewer, Kuzma, Randall. Um, oh, not that one. Uh, sorry. No ball Caldwell Pope. Ingram, Kuzma, Randall, plus 24. It was one of their best lineups they ran out. Got 96 minutes together. And then there was another one. Yeah. Isaiah after the trade with Lonzo, Caldwell Pope, Kuzma, Randall, plus 17. Like, I think when you surround him with at least three shooters, Randall at the five is actually pretty devastating. And I, I don't know. I, I, I liked what I saw when he played the five with shooters around him. Yeah. I mean, it it's, it's tough because, uh, what one thing I, I think we that was kind of it exposed this postseason was um, the Lakers vortex. Like you, you know, like I, I think there's a, there's this common thing in basketball Twitter talking about how um, you know because the Lakers have such a vocal fan base, uh, some of their young guys are a little bit overrated, or at least they think much higher of them than the rest of the league. Like like I, I don't think anyone kind of feels like any of these Laker guys are a Simmons or an Embiid or a Tatum or Donovan Mitchell, like kind of a sure star, uh, you know, barring injury. Uh, and, and you kind of saw it with like, like Larry Nance, you know, I watched a lot of Larry Nance on the Lakers and, and he had a lot of, you know, he, he looked to me like a guy that would be a great, like eighth man on a really good playoff team. And, and, you know, you know, third or fourth big could come in give you, good 12 to 15 minutes play you know play solid defense move the ball you know get offensive rebounds do all the, the dirty work and he's been pretty damn bad on on cleveland and i think we don't even have to go into how bad jordan clark has been so i do wonder like how much of if there is a bit of a lakers bubble and then you know some of them um you know have, have a little bit artificially inflated um figures and whatnot so you know I, I don't know how good julius would be on you know like put him in the in this finals and, and how is he doing I, I i really don't know but um i do agree like look i i think the lakers should keep julius uh if you can get paul george and lebron i think you you, you give him up but um i mean my hottest take kind of is that i i almost think the lakers should pass on paul george 
unless he's coming with a Kawhi or LeBron. Like, if he's the second of the stars coming, go for it. I think if, if he's only coming by himself, I don't know if it's worth the potential risk of having to give up some of the young guys that, to keep him. Because, um, you know, eventually down the line, they're going to have to pay Lonzo, they're going to have to pay Ingram, they have to pay Kuzma if, if they keep him. Um, so I think it's going to be fascinating for the Lakers. Like, the Lakers are probably the team that can swing free agency more than any other one. Because I think... You know, we, we've all taken our jokes at them and, and you know, made fun of the, every year they're chasing a star and they don't get them. I really think this summer could be the summer or is at least their best chance over the last, like, four summers just because they actually have a foundation now. Um, you know, they don't have any sure young things, but they do have, you know, I think Ingram Ball, Randall Kuzma are at least interesting young players. And if you're a star, like, kind of looking to take the next step um, in, in your career, both, like, you know, as, as a public, you know, star and then like kind of growing with a team, I think the Lakers make a lot of sense where in the past they really had nothing to, to sell you on. So um, I really think they're, they're, they're probably going to be the biggest player, you know, in free agency this summer in terms of just they could swing things one way or the other. Um, and they could also sign someone to a terrible contract and screw their cap space. That wouldn't surprise me either. Um, we'll see. Yo, Bambua. Glad we're able to do this today. From the coffee shop. <laughs> uh, this is fun, man. But, uh, Glad we haven't done this in a while. Next, uh, so let's not wait a minute before we talk again. Nothing for now. Um, could have some things and bigger things in the works soon, but uh, I'll keep you updated on that. Okay. Gonna cool. keep it we cryptic. can find you on Twitter. At, uh, I like it. Keep it cryptic. Um, we can find you on Twitter at Yovan Bua. We can find you on Instagram. And we can find you on Facebook. All Yovan Bua. All the time. ESPN.com slash NBA where you are an editor there. Um, Yovan, as always, I appreciate it. And uh, let's talk again soon, sir. <laughs> Sounds good, bro.